Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. My guest today unabashedly wants us all to live our best lives on our own terms. Liz Moody is a wellness and lifestyle guru who has written for Vogue, Marie Claire, and Goop. She is the host of the Liz Moody podcast and also the author of a new book, her third actually, entitled 100 Ways to Change Your Life, The Science of Leveling Up Health, Happiness, Relationships, and Success, which comes out October 17th. Please welcome Liz Moody. Hi, Liz. Hi, thank you so much for having me and for that beautiful introduction. Well, thank you. It's, you know, got to get it all in there. It's not like you have a short resume. <laughs> it's 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 nice because sometimes we can diminish our own accomplishments. So it's kind of fun to hear it read back to you like that. Isn't that always funny? Because you're like, someone reads your introduction. You're like, wow, I've, I've done a lot. Yeah, there's, I, I had a podcast guest on once and I actually have this tip in the book to keep a list of your wins or your accomplishments so you can read back on them and be reminded of like, oh my gosh, I really have done a lot of things because we focus so much on the things we haven't done or the things we still want to do. And it it really does diminish all of our amazing successes. So positive, so clearly <laughs> not running around in my head. And I, I do want to talk about the book, but first I want listeners to know if they don't already, how this all started. Was there a moment where you said to yourself, my life has got to be better than what's going on now? Yeah, absolutely. And I opened the book with this because I think it's a really important story, both for my own self, my own path in life, but also for people to understand that what they see now isn't the entire story. So um, a number of years back, I was in England. My husband was going to graduate school and I was separated from all of my community. I was working from home, so I wasn't going to an office every day. And I've always struggled with anxiety. But at this point in my life, my anxiety just got worse and worse and worse. And I started having panic attacks whenever I went to the grocery store. And then I had started having panic, attack, panic attacks whenever I would leave the house. And then I started having panic attacks basically whenever I would leave my bed. So I was completely agoraphobic. I was proud of myself on days that I took a shower. I convinced myself at one point, I was kind of like lying there sideways with the computer and I was like watching Netflix or something. And I was like, I could do this. Like I could live the rest of my life in this bed and that could be satisfying. And that was such a horrifying thought. The idea of somebody who's always been really 
experientially motivated, who's always wanted to live a really big, satisfying, connected life to be like, oh, I could do this. I could just lay in bed forever. Like there's enough here for me. And I don't have to deal with the discomfort and the fear of leaving my bed. So that was almost like a wake up call. It was incredibly motivating. And that's when I started using my journalism background, emailing people I had no right to email and asking them what was happening in my brain and how I could begin to make it feel better. Did you actually see a therapist at one point? Because oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, suddenly being agoraphobic, at least you're intelligent enough to realize that this is a problem. Yeah, did absolutely. You, did you? But I always wonder about this with people who are agoraphobic. How did you get to the therapist without having a panic attack? So I did have a panic attack. First of all, I'm a huge believer in therapy. Actually, both of my parents are therapists and then both of my husband's parents are therapists and then my sister is getting her PhD in psychology. So I'm, I'm very entrenched in the therapy world. Um, so, everybody, so everybody had an opinion. <laughs> um, I honestly was not as open with my family as I perhaps should have been, I was kind of embarrassed. So what I would do, I had a therapist in England whom I loved. It was my only time I would leave the house. I would meditate in bed, get out out of bed, have a panic attack on the tube there, go to therapy. And it was really helpful. I credit him with essentially saving my life at this point. And then I would have a panic attack on the way home and then I would get back in bed. And And it was my one time that I left the house. And I absolutely, every single time I went, would have a panic attack on the way there and a panic attack on the way back, like full-fledged, shaking, needing to use the bathroom on the tube. Like it was awful. It, it takes a lot of strength to own up to saying, wow, I'm really fucked up right now. Yeah. That's always really hard to admit. Yeah. How, yeah. Did, how did you work through that? I have a tip in my book, and I think I've really internalized this idea, which is that vulnerability makes people like us better, not worse. And I think I've known that on some sort of level throughout my entire life. So I've always really enjoyed the experiences where we are connected to ourselves, where we are connected to other people. It's one of the reasons I love hosting my podcast. I love having beyond the surface level conversations where we really dive into the things I think we all want to talk about, but we don't give ourselves permission to. So for me, owning being fucked up was not the hard part of it. It was like dealing with the idea that this could be forever, I think was the harder part for me. The idea that I would be this uncomfortable every day for the rest of my life was a really, really scary notion. But I actually remember this time I went downstairs, we were living with roommates in London and I hadn't really seen my roommate very much. She was in grad school with my husband and then they were just really, really, really busy. And I said to her, I've been having panic attacks. I have PTSD from this seizure that I had. And she was like, oh, I know somebody who deals with that. And I, she was so unfazed. And I remember being so embarrassed to tell her, but she was so unfazed. She wanted to talk about it. She wanted to connect about it. And it was such a reminder that that vulnerability it's the thing that makes us connect, not the thing that takes us apart from each other. It's really interesting because you've talked about eating disorders in your life and drug use, but I'm just thinking about a lot of my friends who are in recovery and the hardest part is saying, hi, my name is, and I'm a, mm -hmm. and owning that. Yeah. And I'm thinking about my own life and specifically in relationships, I was a big self-sabotager. I was, but it took me a long time 
to understand that I was creating my own negative experiences. And it takes a lot of work and, and you really do break things down in, in the book. I mean, you, you put names to things, which I love. And I'm going to digress for a second um, about your background because my son's at Berkeley. Oh yeah. Go bears. Yeah. Go bears. No kidding. You decide to create your own major. Yes. <laughs> which is which was very complicated. Just so you know, my son is <laughs> my son Cooper is majoring in media studies with a minor in organizing game day parties at his fraternity. <laughs> You're the first person who's ever asked me about this. I love this. Yeah, my major was cultural representation of personality and narrative. And I came up with yeah, that myself. <laughs> what department do you even put that in? So if you dive into it, it actually makes a little bit more sense. I wanted to combine psychology with creative writing. And the idea was I would better understand how people functioned in the real world to better represent it in my fiction. Because I wanted to be a novelist at that point. How did you sell that to your <laughs> they thought that it made sense. They were like, oh, yeah, so you'll take these psychology seminars, you'll learn how our brains work, and then you'll go into these creative writing seminars. And it was actually this really wonderful experience because even though I went to Berkeley, which is obviously a huge public school, tons and tons of students, most of my classes were eight to 10 people because I was taking all these little seminars. And by the way, Jess named again the number one public university in the United States. Go Bears. Go Bears. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's an amazing school. Oh, I love it. I had such a good experience. First of all, I graduated from college without spending nearly as much money as many of my friends did. And then second of all, I met such incredible people. I think Berkeley is such a hidden gem of a place. I met my husband. So uh-huh. if I had gone to Berkeley, my whole life would look different. Um, so you have this individual, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, major, yeah, a highly respected university. But yet your background ended up being in food and nutrition. <laughs> How did you make? And I don't mean to laugh, but I love the fact that you've managed to take everything that you're interested in and make it into one thing. So how did you start with the food and nutrition? Because your first two books are actually cookbooks. They are cookbooks. Yeah. Shout out to Glow Pops and Healthier Together. Um, so I, it was always writing for me. I started writing my first newspaper column when I was a teenager. I walked into my local newsroom and I said, I think you should have a column for teenagers and it should be written by me. Uh, and then I always just viewed storytelling as wherever the stories would take me. And so for a long time, so I, I managed a news team for a startup right when I graduated. And then I was writing freelance pieces. And then it was actually this experience with agoraphobia where I was laying sideways on my bed and I was emailing people and I was like, what's happening in my brain when I'm experiencing a panic attack? What types of food impact our anxiety Our anxiety, and what's the mechanism of action there? What's happening? And all of that information that I was getting was making me more and more interested in how what we consume impacts how we feel on a day-to-day basis. And one of the very, very, very first things that I did when I got out of bed for the first like regular day was make a green smoothie. And so I think I experienced firsthand the power of these tiny little 
bits of nourishing yourself and what that could do for your mental health, for your physical health. And then I, I became really interested in the power of food and nutrition. But for me, and you can even see this in my last book was Healthier Together. And it's really about connecting with people and using food as a medium through which to do that. So for me, it's always been about how do we live our best lives? How do we form our best relationships? How do we nourish ourselves on all levels? And food was a really um, accessible way to do that. That's what Anthony Bourdain did for all those years. Well, I think we all have to eat every single day. And so I think if you're looking, I think there's a reason a lot of people start to take care of themselves initially through food, because you're just kind of adding in a vegetable to a breakfast or lunch or dinner that you're already eating versus having to add in new habits, which can be a little bit more daunting. What is the most important thing we can consume? We can consume? Eat. Yeah, I would say vegetables. I think that to make it really, really simple, I just think of adding one vegetable to every single meal that I'm eating, whether that's putting some fresh herbs and ripping them up on top. I roast frozen broccoli if I'm just eating like a pizza that's pre-baked and frozen. Um, I think the vegetables, hands down, and a diversity of vegetables, there's a great tip in the book about trying to eat 30 different plants per week and how there's really, really powerful research behind what that does for microbiome. And our microbiome impacts so much of our body. We have more microbes in our body than we have human cells. So nourishing those are very, very important for our mental health, for our skin health, for our oral health, for all of these different facets of our health. So I like to think 30 plants per week. So that's one of the doctors that I cite in the book. She does three plants at dinner, two plants at lunch, and one plant at breakfast every single day. That'll get you up to 30. I like to just think, how can I add a vegetable to any single thing that I eat? Your new book, 100 Ways to Change Your Life, helps the reader live their best life. And you use the term leveling up. I I want to, what does that mean? Because- just now, it just hit me. I didn't think of this before. It feels like a very accessible term to a newer generation because that's mm. how they played video games. They leveled up. Oh, that's so interesting. I have never been a video game person. So that's such an interesting observation. I wonder if I subconsciously just picked that up from my childhood. It, it literally just hit me. I'm like, oh yeah, you level up. So explain for how how in the book, the term leveling up is used. For sure. So I wanted this book to take all of the science that's out there and turn it into action steps that we can actually do to transform our lives today. There's a lot of books out there that sometimes are really big on mindset and they make you feel really good while you're reading them. And then you close the book and you're feeling great and you're like, okay, but what should I actually do? And I really didn't want readers to have that sense with this book. So every single tip, and there's a hundred of them over 18 categories, whether it's relationships, whether it's friendships, which I think is a really under-discussed topic, making friends as an adult, making best friends as an adult, whether it's gut health, longevity, forming new habits, finding more success in your career, all of these things 
there's tips in those categories. And then there is the science behind the tip and then an action step based on the science. And I really wanted this to be something you could leave out on your coffee table. It's really, really pretty. I just got my first copy in person yesterday and I'm just like, isn't that always exciting? Oh, it's, I smelled it first thing and it smells really good, which was really important to me. I love a good book smell and it's so pretty. So I want it to be something you can leave out. You can pick it up and read one tip, which will take five to 10 minutes. You can do it as part of a morning routine. You can do it while your pasta water is boiling. So you don't just pick up your phone and scroll through social media. And each tip is going to give you something that is actionable that is going to level up and change your life. And I love that there are all of these tools. You don't need to spend money for, I think, 99, if not 100% of the tips. You have all of the resources at your disposal. This is just telling you how to use them to feel better in all different facets of your life. I just, I love the idea that because I always was one of those people who's, okay, I'm, everyone's like, you need to read this book. And I never get through the first chapter. Yeah. Like you're telling me shit. I know. Yeah. I don't need to read. Like, is there a cliff notes? And <laughs> I guess you said actionable. Yeah. That's, that's what I wanted. I was exactly you. And so I, I call this, I say it's like getting 50 books in one where you're just every single page is like new information and how you apply it. But it's written a really fun way too. Like I always say we're like big sister meet science over on the Liz Moody podcast. I do not want to bore you to tears. You should not have to be bored to tears to learn because then we're not leveling up the fun in your life. And that sort of beats the point right there. But I love the fact that you actually encourage people to pick it up, put it down, open a page that there's no order. Isn't that how we live these days? I just feel like that's like, that's our life. And you can read the whole thing straight through. So, you know, everything that's in there so you can rely on it as a resource and you know when you need different things, but also our needs are going to change. You emphasize the word your when you were talking about the book earlier. And I think that emphasis is so important because your goals, your needs, and as a result of that, the tools that you're relying on should change throughout your life. So I love the idea that at a time you really want to uplevel your relationships, you're going into that section and you're learning how to set the rules for fighting. You're learning about the six second kiss. You're learning how to level up your sex life. But maybe at another time, you really want your gut health to feel better. So then you're relying on that section. And like I said, what I always say is it's 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 bite-sized pieces. So it's all very doable. There's the food um, background for you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't put science somewhere in that major um, <laughs> or the minor in science of some part. I took um, physics for future presidents. Does that count? Physics for future presidents? It's a Berkeley class. Okay, I'm sorry. We have to stop right here. Can you please explain that to me? I think it was just like, if you're gonna be the president, which at that time I was like, that's an option for me. <laughs> it was like, here's an overview of everything on a broad level and nothing on a particularly deep level. It was a fun way to approach physics. It was like watching a really good YouTube video or documentary. So, but wait, what physics. is what physics does a president need? I think just enough to be able to understand what their advisors are telling them, you know? About physics. <laughs> don't don't quiz me, Melissa. I won't, but I'm just like that is a very Berkeley class. That it's is a, a very, very Berkeley class. Berkeley class. <laughs> um, you've interviewed so many people through your career. How did you end up 
editing everything down and knowing what to put in the book. Yeah, a a lot of tips started out. I I think I had 150 tips and we narrowed it down to 100. For me, it was a few things. It was one, what are the things that are actually going to solve the problems that people come to me with all the time? I'm lucky enough to have this wonderful community. People are always telling me like, these are my struggles. I wanted to make sure we were addressing all of those struggles. The second thing is it's really cool when you interview all these experts to see where they agree on things. So like we fight all the time societally and the news, whatever, about what the best diet is for your health and what you should be eating on a day-to-day basis. And the tips that I included in the book about what we should be eating are the things that by and large, everybody's agreeing on. And so we can just start there instead of worrying about whether we should be eating a blueberry or grass-fed steak for like that last five to 10%, you know what I mean? So I loved getting to see the, the habits and the tools and the routines and the science that was pretty much concurrent across the experts and the world-class performers that I was interviewing. You have to have run across some crazy things. Some <laughs> I mean, what is the most bizarre advice that you have run across? I don't know. So I haven't luckily on the Liz Moody podcast because we're pretty strict about vetting our guests. I would say I get a lot of pitches that I would disagree with. And they tend to just be like, if you buy this one thing, everything will be different. Like they just tend to really, I think, belittle the tools that we already have at our disposal and also overhype like something that's being sold that's going to transform everything for you. You always have to remember with those ones, it's business. A hundred. And there's so, and I think that taking a step back in so many ways, like I think one of the reasons that we don't think about feeling bad about our bodies every day is like we are told all the time that we should feel bad about our bodies because people are trying to sell us stuff and they can only sell us stuff if we feel bad about our bodies. And taking a step back and being like, oh, this isn't my messaging. This is messaging that I'm internalizing from the second that I wake up and enter it the world. I, I I think that being cognizant of the messages that we're getting constantly and where they're coming from is really empowering and really important. It's almost like they create the problem so you can buy something to solve the problem. It's not almost like it literally is like that. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, th- I feel like that about aging. I feel like that about what a perfect body looks like. And you can see that with the cycles of a perfect body. It's like, first they want you to have this body. And then when they've kind of sold you everything based on that body, they're like, oh, nope, that's not the body. It's going to be a different body. And it's like, it's all this over is the, the body I have. Yeah. Do you try everything suggested before you accept your demises? Because like last time, I mean, you've got to run across crazy ideas. Like bloodletting is not a good idea for a hangover cure. I mean, do you try everything? No, I really don't. I, um, again, I really rely on the vetted expert guests that I re- like get my information from on my podcast. And that translates to the guests in my book. These are really credentialed people who are not saying out there things. And then we were fact checking everything beyond that. So we weren't just trusting the credentials of the guests, but then also beyond that, like we don't all need every tool. And I think that's something that happens in the wellness world all the time is we're like, oh, that person's sauning and cold plunging. So I need to sauna and cold plunge. And it's like, well, what are your goals for your health at this moment? And does that fit into your goals? Does that fit into the structure of your day? Does that fit into what you want your routine to look like? So one of my tips is find your why. And I think that's so, so, so important and so underlooked for 
adding any new habitants. So I don't try everything. I just try the things that are really going to help me with the, the goals that I have. A huge goal I have is taking care of my mental health because of everything we've talked about. Um, so a lot of my habits and routines are really centered around that. Um, you just brought up the cold showers and the cold plunging, which you are into. I am into them. Yeah, like they're, they're very did, helpful. Yeah. Yeah. My son does, he's an athlete, all the cryotherapy. I have friends that have bought these cold plunge things and all that. Now, I got to tell you, I wear a full wetsuit in the summer <laughs> when I'm either surfing or diving. I literally like, cannot do the cold, but you give suggestions on how to kind of work up to it. How do I work up to that? So the research around cold plunging is really interesting in that you don't need to go as long as you think or have it be as cold as you think to have it have positive effects. So what I like to do is just end my shower on a minute or two of cold water. I do my normal shower and then I do my hair, I soap up, whatever. And then at the very end, I turn it as cold as it'll go. And I like to sing a song during it because that also helps with your vagal nerve, your vagus nerve. So it'll help you actually feel calmer if you're singing while you're while you're doing it. But, you know, just let the cold water hit you and know that this is going to help balance your dopamine levels. This is going to make hard things later feel more manageable. I always feel like superwoman after I do it. But again, this doesn't, if this isn't for you, there's so many other tools at our disposal. And I just think it's so important to emphasize that because we can be so self-critical of like, oh, well, everybody else can do this and I can't. Should I feel bad about that? It's like, no, you can reach your goals in so many different ways. And that's why the book is really designed as like a poo-poo platter, like a choose your own adventure. By the way, I just love because I use the term poo-poo platter all the time <laughs> and nobody understands it. Um, but again, you're, you're talking about you take these little steps and I love that. Like you don't just say eat balanced meals. You're realistic. Like you'll be like, have vegetable nachos. You're a big one of not taking everything away, but to add and morph things 100%. you already like. Um, yeah, I actually don't think I'm a fan. I don't think there's anything in the book where I ask you to take anything away. I think it's all about adding in things or changing your mindset to get you to the place that you want to get. Deprivation I mean, is not a, it, it's not a good strategy. Literally, science does not support deprivation. And we talk about that in the book as well. I mean, you, you mentioned that you love spaghetti carbonara. <laughs> I love sometimes you just have it. My husband makes the best spaghetti carbonara. So good. So yes. good. Um, you bring up your husband. Um, do men and women have different responses to your message? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say my audience tends to be largely female. So I get a lot of questions around, you know, how do I get my partner to do this? How do I get my husband on board? And for that, I'm always a big fan of like, put on a podcast that you want your partner to hear and just like listen to it out loud while they're within earshot and be like, oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't know that you could hear that. Uh, sorry for any subliminal messaging that seeped through. But in general, I'm a really big fan of people are who we let them be. And again, there's been so much societal messaging about what's okay for men and can men cry and can men feel things? And I think that 
men like women want to feel their best on a day-to-day basis. They want to connect with people. They want to emote. They want to have energy. So I'd say at our base level, we have really similar goals and maybe we have different challenges, both on a societal level and on a biological level. But I think we all, we all just want to feel our best and do our best with our time we have on this planet. Well, with my boyfriend with health stuff, he's always, when I'm on him about it, I'm like, this probably isn't the best way to do it, but it seems to work. Oh, sorry. Don't want you to die. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard one, right? Like it is because once you're invested in somebody, you really want them to live as long and healthfully as possible. But at the end of the day, I think we can model really good behavior. We can talk about why we're doing it so that we can help them find their why we can ask them what their pain points are and why they're maybe not doing it or maybe help them find their why so they can get that motivation. And we have a lot of tips in the book about finding motivation, building discipline, like how to actually stick to a habit. But at the end of the day, I mean, isn't one of the greatest practices in life realizing what's in our control and what's out of our control. And unfortunately, other people's actions tend to fall into the latter category. You say in such a more eloquent way than I do with the <laughs> Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Walking, walk, playing golf is an exercise. You know what I, mean? I think it's also fun to do stuff together. Like that is the healthier together in me is like, I love going and playing tennis with my husband. I love being like, I'm going for a walk. Do you want to come? I'm meditating. Do you want to come? It is more fun and, and easier to stick to doing that stuff with another person. Well, I've been, I've been working that in, but with him, threat of death usually works um that or not or to shut me up <laughs> that's a good one too if it if it's working for you you know if it ain't broke don't fix it um between the podcast and the books and everything you are always keeping up with the new health trends i mean how do you see if a trend is really effective because it takes time mm-hmm. it absolutely does so i think there's two ways that doctors and experts that I have on the podcast are kind of checking things. First, they're doing that anecdotal check because you're not getting the double blind controlled studies in the early stages. Like you said, things take time. So they're getting people coming into their practice over and over and over and saying like, oh, this is working. This is making a difference. Um, So that's really helpful. And then you are looking into what does the research say about this? Who's funding that research? Uh, What is their consensus about? But we have a tip in the book about do an N of one experiment. And that just means that you're doing an experiment that is literally yourself. And we have so many ways of really tracking outcomes, whether it is you added a new supplement to your routine and you keep a diary every single day about how you feel with that supplement, whether it's you try a new sleep habit and you have an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or an Aura and you actually see the impact on your sleep. So I'm a big fan of we're adding habits in, we're adding supplements in, we're adding new foods to our diet of doing an end of one experiment, not doing multiple things at once and really keeping track of, is this making a difference? Because otherwise we don't know and we're just wasting our time and wasting our money potentially. You just brought up the whole sleep thing with the aura rings, which is such a hot topic. Yeah, I got mine. There you go. I, by the way, my biggest problem with my aura ring was every morning I would look and I would feel like I was failing. Uh, I do think that's a real, real issue. And you kind of have to ask yourself if that's going to be a thing for you. For me, I had the opposite effect where I'd been telling myself I was a really bad sleeper for a really long time. And then I check my aura and my aura would be like, oh, you actually did pretty well 
and I'd, I'd feel better. But there is real research around we feel the way our sleep trackers tell us to feel. So if you actually got a good night's sleep, but your sleep tracker, if you feel like you got a good night's sleep, but you check your sleep tracker and it's like, you didn't sleep very well, you'll feel more tired. And I think that that's a, it's a dangerous game to play and you have to know how you react to that type of information. What is the next big trend coming down the tracks? Because like all my friends were like steaming their vaginas and all that ridiculous stuff. What's the next big trend that you see coming? Personalization. We just did a podcast episode about the future of healthcare. And I had on these two amazing doctors, Dr. Hood and Dr. Price, who like all of these awards. And they talked about how in 10 years and even five years, we're going to be looking at our genetics, looking at what we're eating, tracking our blood sugar. And a lot of these tools are already available, looking at our individual microbiome. Our microbiome testing is like right on the threshold right now where it's it's starting to get useful. Um, but we're going to be tracking all of these things. And instead of saying universally, like you should take this probiotic for everybody, it's going to be like, no, this is what your microbiome looks like. And this is the probiotic that you should take based on your unique microbiome and your unique goals. I think we're going to see that across the board and we're right in the nascent phases. So I'm very excited about that. Liz Moody book comes out October 17th, hundred ways to change your life. The science of leveling up health, happiness, relationships, and success. Also the Liz Moody podcast, such a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, the pleasure was mine, Melissa. This was this, absolutely wonderful. This is awesome. I just, I feel like it's a, it's a self-help in quotes book that even I could tolerate. I love that. That was the goal. It's it's self-help for people who don't like self-help and it's self-help with real actions instead of just like wishy-washy cheerleader bullshit. Exactly. Liz, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. A Huda Media Production.